welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast equivalent of Days of Our Lives, in that we are both somehow still on the air. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you angel faced pony soldier. How the hell are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad we're back on the air after Oscars pod, award season pod last week. Football's brewing, basketball's picking up. Feeling feeling really good about Michigan sports right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got guys going to the combine. Nothing really happening in the doldrums that are February except the XFL. Did you give that a, a watch by chance? I did, actually. I watched a little of the XFL, and I didn't hate it. There's my review. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, and that seems to be the general consensus is kind of watchable. Uh, saw a couple familiar faces, too. I saw Devion Smith and uh, Channing Stribling, old no-tackle McGee. <laughs> old no-tackle covers plenty. He was out there. <laughs> he was out there. It was nice to see. They had some interesting tweaks to rules and kickoffs, which were actually good and seemed well thought out. It's like, oh, yeah, this is safer, and there's still a lot of action, so... No good on the XFL. One weekend, I'm kind of buying what they're selling. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There is this period where there's just not much going on for sports where we're forced to watch the Academy Awards, which, don't get me wrong, I enjoy the Academy Awards, but for about 30 minutes of it. Like, the rest of it is filler, and it's nonsense, and it's just pandering. Yeah, you don't like hearing a rich elitists complain about their problems in real world like they have any touch or connection? <laughs> I don't uh, enjoy seeing Renee Zellweger, who may be the only person with more Botox than Ryan Day, give a 40-minute speech about people that I've never heard of. Yeah, very obscure, but give me Bong, uh, give me Bong, director of Parasite, all day, any day. Give him a talk show where he just talks about and reads the newspaper. I'm fine with that. I guarantee that him and I could get along so well if all we did was just hang out and play Nintendo 64 and smoke a bunch of weed. We would get along really well. Yeah, I bet he has good I I bet he has good XFL takes. I'm just throwing that out there. I want to get him on the pod, hear what he thinks about XFL in Korea. <laughs> Bong, XFL, go. What would you think? Uh, Cardell Jones, your thoughts. Ugh, freaking Cardell Jones. Yeah, I saw him in there. But all right, let's let's pivot back to Michigan here because, uh, you know, outside of the XFL, some news that came out is the invites to the combine. Michigan tied with Ohio State for most in the country or excuse me, second most in the country behind LSU with 11 players invited to the combine, which will either make you very happy or very upset, depending on how you look at things. But nonetheless, I mean, it is good for recruiting and it's a good image for the program in the offseason. Yeah, it looks great. The whole pro blue philosophy looks really well where kids come here, kind of cultivated and grow and become these NFL prospects. Because we all remember after the 2016 year, Michigan had a ton of players drafted, I believe the most of any school that year. And the pattern's continuing now. All these players getting invited to the combine with a lot of them in line to improve their stock. Yes, most definitely. And I'm not sure that us getting 11 is, you know, indicative of the talent that it was on our team. Because if it is, we should have won a lot more. Uh, There's no reason we should lose three games. (laughs) I mean, at all, if you have the third best roster in the country, according to this combine. Uh, so 11 players invited to the combine. That's going to be Bredesen, Lavert Hill, Kalee Hudson, Sean McEwen, kind of strange, Josh Metellus, Mike Onwenu, Shea Patterson, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Cesar Ruiz, 
John Runyon, and Josh Uche. What stands out to you about this list? A couple names stand out to me for one being Sean McCune, which is interesting. So there's that. Even Shea Patterson, it doesn't surprise me he got invited, but I don't know how much he's going to do here. I, I wonder if he's going to avoid some throwing drills or things like that and just try to work on his accuracy in his private time because I think if he throws at the combine, he could drastically hurt his stock. He very well could. Uh, he should run because I think he might end up being a little quicker than people think. He might get like a 4.6 or something like that. Uh, he's, he's not going to be 4.4, four, 4.5 speed or anything like that. Um, but he might be a little quicker than you think when, when fully healthy. So, yeah, if I were him, I'd run. Um, but then other than that, I wouldn't participate in too much. I can't imagine Shea rocking 22 on the bench. <laughs> no, it's no, it's going to be very interesting weekend to see who does what, how Amwanu's weight looks. And as far as who we think could improve their stock the most, I'm interested to hear your take see, because I think people like – Ruiz, his stock can't go too much higher. Like everyone's already high on him. He'll show his quickness. He won't rise that much. But I think people like DPJ could skyrocket here with speed, catches, quick hips, and everything that scouts just salivate over. Yeah, there are some guys that can definitely improve their stock. You nailed it right there with one of them that I was looking at. Uh, my guess would be he got advice from his advisors, whoever they may be. There are people that specialize in advising these players on whether they should go pro or stay another year. His advisor said you should go pro. My guess would be because they know how well he's going to test at the combine. He was Nike's like highest rated spark athlete, which is kind of an athletic gauge. And I mean, you saw the athleticism at Michigan. That's going to show up at the combine and that's going to probably push him from production wise. He'd be a fourth or a fifth but I think that he's going to get pushed up closer to the second or third round with his combine. Uh, who's somebody you got? Who's somebody else you got your eye on? Uh, Kalik Hudson. I want to see where he goes. I want to see if he plays sticks at linebacker, tries to play at safety. But my best guess would be he tries to play an outside three, four linebacker and put on some weight. So he's at Michigan. He is about six feet, two twenty. So I want to see if he can get up to like the two forty range and then really show some explosiveness because. If he can put on that weight and not lose any speed, he could rise up to be a middle round kind of draft pick, take a flyer on at linebacker. Theoretically, he could. Um, you know, I thought there would be more of a market for players like this after the Honey Badger, but then I realized that Tyron Matthew is just like kind of a once in a generation type of thing. Yeah. Um, there's been some guys that kind of fit this mold. Um, there was a dude from USC uh, recently here. He got drafted. I'm trying to remember his name. He was recruited by Harbaugh at Michigan, um, but he kind of panned out, fan, yeah, panned out, did not pan out, excuse there me, in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Kalik Hudson could very well try to fit that mold. I just don't think he has the coverage skills necessarily. Um, a guy that could be interesting, though, is Mike Onwenu, uh, kind of the unsung guy on that offensive line. But you've heard from all of his positional coaches, you've heard it from Harbaugh and other, other guys on the team, that he could be one of the best offensive linemen ever. Like, he's, he's the one limiting his skill uh, because he's quick, he's massive, um, you know, his technique is pretty solid when he's engaged, but if he comes out and he runs really well at that size, watch for Mike Onwenu to move up. I could see that. Rank the NFL guards from Michigan going to the combine with Onwenu, John Runyon, and Ben Bredesen. Who is the best in the next five years? Rank them. 
I think Ben Bredesen comes in and he can start for you right away. Um, and I, and I think that you'll have a 10 year career with him, similar to like what you're getting with Graham Glasgow in Detroit right now. I think that he's going to come in, start right away in his first year and just be great. I mean, I don't know that he'll be pro bowl, but he'll be really, really good. This, the highest ceiling is Mike Onwenu. Um, if Mike Onwenu comes in, gets his weight under control, gets into a program that knows how to use him, can keep him motivated, his athleticism, his size, his speed, his quickness, uh, he's got incredibly fluid hips for a guy that big. Uh, he could turn out to be, he could definitely be a pro bowler. I could see that. I could see Bredesen maybe sneaking into a pro bowler here or two here or there. Um, John Runyon's kind of the wild card. I think he's going to be a guy that gets drafted low and way outperforms his, his draft position. Justice for John Runyon. It all stops people. <laughs> he will have vindication. Don't you worry. John Runyon will make a roster. I am, I am certain of that. Uh, he's tough to predict his ceiling for, though. I don't know. I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm all aboard. You know I am. I think John Runyon could be the most talented of them at the next level. Just what I saw from him mentally, being undersized, playing tackle, really taking his lumps and just coming back from them, not being discouraged and just being a stone wall at that end. If he can come in with the same kind of tenacity and just grasp the nuance of guard, I think he could be the best of the three. But I think everything you said is very accurate. I just really concerned about Amanu's weight and how he's going to carry that in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's got to do some work on his end to be NFL ready and stay NFL ready, but his ceiling is astronomically high. I've said that since he was picked up by Michigan. Always been a fan of his ceiling, and you see it at times at Michigan where he's one of the most dominant linemen you've ever seen at Michigan. It's just not consistent. Um, kind of reminds me of uh, Will Campbell, who played for Michigan a while back, who you saw flashes, was one of the most talented defensive tackles you have ever seen at that you know, size and weight, but just didn't put it together all the time. So that's a more likely on a new comparison. I don't know that he'll stick. I think Bredesen and Runyon both stick though, for sure. Is Lavert Hill the only player you can remember that before his senior season was projected as high as a top 10 pick and now is being projected as a sixth or seventh rounder? Can you remember another Michigan player falling that far in a season? Well, it's hard to say because I looked at draft picks for next year, potential draft picks, and they had Jalen Mayfield in the first round. And I was like, I don't even know if Jalen Mayfield's eligible next year. So sometimes those mock drafts early on in the year are really, really inaccurate. So having Levert Hill there was all pure projection. I never bought him as a first round cornerback. Um, I think Andrew Thomas has a higher ceiling. Jordan Lewis, I thought, had a better claim to a first round grade than Levert Hill. Then he had some off the field stuff and he's just not that tall. Um, but Lavert Hill, I just haven't seen anything. David Long had better tape than Lavert Hill going into the, the pros. Did, do you see him going third round or above? I, no, I, unless he has just a bonkers combine with speed and can cover receivers without grabbing them in drills. But no, I think he's fourth round at the earliest. Yeah. Give me your guys who are drafted guys who go undrafted. Keep in mind that Karan Higdon went undrafted and Zach Gentry went drafted. Okay, just remember that. Um, of this group, I would say Shea Patterson and Metellus and Huds Kalik Hudson go undrafted. Everybody else goes. I think someone's going to take a flyer on McEwen if he runs well just because of his blocking prowess and the George Kittle revival in the NFL of the position. 
So I think someone takes a flyer on him. Everybody else, I don't see falling very far, besides it, save for Lavert Hill. But yeah, give me. I don't think Metellus gets drafted. I don't think Patterson gets drafted, and I don't think Kalik Hudson gets drafted. I think that's pretty much spot on. I would like to see someone take a flyer on Josh Metellus. I mean, Jordan Kovacs, Diamante Thomas, and Jared Wilson have all found ways, and Delano Hill's still in the league. Like Michigan safeties find a way to stick in the league, and Metellus is arguably more talented than all those guys. Yeah, Metellus got a lot of flack, and some people really just try to pick on him. He had his bad moments, but he had way more good moments than bad. Way outweigh them. And especially look at his junior year when he just blankets KJ Hamler and takes him out of the game. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see Metellus and Hudson get a chance. I wouldn't be surprised if neither of them were drafted, though. But that's how I see it. I think everybody else that you mentioned will get drafted. Uh, first one off the board, who do you think? I mean, we're going to do our mock draft here pretty soon, and we'll get real deep into the draft. But just real quick, who's the first Michigan player off the board? It's between Ruiz and DPJ for me. I think both of them will test very well. And uh, gun to my head right now before the combine, I'm going to say Ruiz. I think you might I think you might be off there. Ruiz would make a lot of sense. Uche is flying up boards though. I'm starting to see him in some first round mocks. He can cover. I mean, he's he's a hybrid type of player. I mean, he can play linebacker, he can put his finger in the dirt. He is made for the NFL and there's tape of him running with KJ Hamler. So just putting that out there. Like <laughs> it the, the does exist. Is- there is tape of him in coverage sticking 60 yards down the field with K.J. Hamler, and he did it at the uh, Senior Bowl. So Josh Uche flying up boards. He's going in the first two rounds. Mar- mark it right here. Oh, I like the boldness, man. I'd love to see it. But I just seen Ruiz early on being uh, as low as a top two center. So he'd go up to one. Someone's going to take him before he gets to 20. He just There's no way you pass up on a center that good. No, no, it's it's him and the guy from Wisconsin, and I'd take the more athletic one, which is Ruiz. So I, I would love – I'm telling my, my dad, who's a uh, Dolphins fan, he's like, no, we got to take all these linemen in the first round. I was like, just get Runyon, Ruiz, and Bredesen. Get them in second, third, and fourth round, respectively, and you're good. All three of those guys will stick. Yeah, you'll be fine. They're going to last sure. for 10 years. That's all you need. Yeah, we've generally been pretty good about calling the uh, the linemen that stick. You know, we called Glasgow, we called Mason Cole. They're still sticking, so we have a pretty good track record here. Yeah, we predicted pretty much nobody from 2016 to be any good, and look at us now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, all right, man, let's let's switch gears here away from Michigan and towards the dumpster fire down the road that is Michigan State. So Mark D'Antonio steps down. In disgrace, we discussed that in the last pod. A little bit more coming out about that. Uh, Turns out that he was planning to retire at the end of the year, if you believe their sources, and their sources are having a bad run of things here, this this (laughs) go-around. He took the bag and ran. Yeah, (laughs) sounds that way. But supposedly, he was going to stick around one more year, help pick his replacement, and then retire gracefully. Instead, you have what appears to be a grease-fueled dumpster fire. Yeah, instead he's like, I'm going to wait long enough to get my bonus, retire in the middle of the recruiting cycle before National Signing Day and a few weeks before spring ball starts. Best of luck. Pretty brutal, and now they've been rebuked by, let's let's count them up. You've got rebukes by Mel Tucker of my alma mater, CU. He said no thank you. I don't know why he would leave. He just got there, and Colorado is a 
it's not a b- bad program. It's a much nicer place than East Lansing, I can assure you from personal experience. Um, Robert Sala from 49ers, that was a no-brainer. I can't believe they even approached him. That showed some balls. Defensive coordinator. He'll be an NFL coach next year. Um, who else do we have Luke here? Fickle. Luke Fickle is the most recent rebuke from Cincinnati, which is interesting because Cincinnati has been a jumping off point for a lot of coaches. Brian Kelly, D'Antonio was there. Um, Butch Jones was there at Cincinnati and they all left after three years. Fickle turns down Michigan state rather than jump after three years. That's bad, and it speaks to the larger problem at hand with everything off the field surrounding the program. You have lawsuits, sanctions, just everything looming over you. Why would you want to step into this job, albeit it's a Big Ten job, when you could have your scholarships cut in half for the next three years and you can't go to a bowl game? We have no idea what's going to happen with the sanctions. There might be sanctions, but we do know that the – culture there on campus is just in disarray right now you've got the board of trustees you got all these people involved in the search and they're all making public comments now you're publicly insulting luke fickle for waffling on the decision i mean that is not going to endear yourselves to other coaches who are already like looking at this as just not a great job right now and you have to play ohio state penn state and michigan every year that's a not a great job right now yeah especially if you're playing them while potentially under ncaa sanctions good luck but gun to your head who's coaching michigan state week one in 2020 at this point, you might as well go with Tressel, uh, you know, who who would be the interim coach and go with him for a year because, I mean, this year is kind of already lost. You're not improving this recruiting class anymore. You're not going to get some exciting hire. It's already past National Signing Day. Like, that part is is over. So you may as well go with an interim and take your time with the search. If you had to hire someone right now, I would take a swing on somebody like Jason Candle from Toledo, um, Brian Hartline, the receivers coach at Ohio State. But the leader in the clubhouse right now is old Daddy Ribstack, yes. uh, Brett Bielmer. Yes. For <laughs> sure is neat. In his third helping of barbecue today. Yes, Brett Bielema. That was going to be – that's my answer, man. He's been – ever since he was, you know, fired from Arkansas in 2017, he has been consultant to the head coach with the Patriots, defensive line coach last year, and now he's senior assistant outside linebackers coach to the Giants. So the guy knows the Big Ten. He knows his way around a plate of ribs, and – I think he's going to be in Lansing. <laughs> Those two reasons right there. He's coming to town. Get ready for him. Yeah, most likely. My concern with him as a hire would be the McRib comes back, what, every once, every two, three years? Are you going to be able to find him? Is he going to be accountable? Is he going to be on campus when the McRib is in session? What's he going to do when, like, the Memphis job opens up again? You know he's going to take it. <laughs> I love that we just assume Brett Bielma is just knee-deep in a pile of rib bones somewhere I, I right really now. Hope, that. I really hope he is, and I really hope he comes back so these jokes never have to die. <laughs> <laughs> that dude looks like he knows his way around a snowblower, though. I guarantee he could fix a snowblower in like 15 minutes. He's the kind of guy that doesn't just take pride in mowing his grass. He's out there with the scissors when his brother-in-law like complains about something, just evening up every blade really good. <laughs> Brett Bielma's gravy boat is the size of a kiddie pool. <laughs> Brett Bielma walks around with just the sunscreen on his nose. 
<laughs> that's it. You absolutely type of guy but yeah i mean you could do worse people including us right now this second give him a lot of crap but you forget just how good wisconsin was under him he was an incredibly competent head coach did not work down at arkansas for a number of reasons uh that's a difficult place to win i would say that like arkansas and michigan state are right up there with programs where it's difficult to get a lot of wins because of the division that you're in but he wouldn't be the worst hire for them but I, I kind of I hope to see him return, man. Sounds like he's interested. Yeah, bring him on back to the Big Ten. Like he was, he was a good coach. He had a lot of success at Wisconsin and a Rose Bowl appearance in there. Um, so it'd be it'd be nice, but I don't know if it'll be ever possible for Michigan State to return to where they were at D'Antonio's height because of everything surrounding that. The Penn State being down, Michigan being down, Ohio State going through a transition. So. Bring on the spare ribs, bring on Brett Bielema, and we'll bring Sparty to a consistent, you know, eight, nine wins. <laughs> yeah, eight, nine seems high for, for their ceiling, honestly. Like, we kind of touched on it last week. D'Antonio took them to new heights and maybe too high of heights because now people are like, oh, we should make the, the college football playoff every couple of years. No, no, that was an absolutely like incredible year. Uh, you needed a lot of luck on your side to get there that year. And now things are starting to return to the norm. Um, and it's not an easy place to win that big. Like, it's just not, especially in this conference with the opponents that you got. Like, so I think Sparty needs to kind of look in the mirror here, realize that it's not the elite job that they think it is and, and just go get someone that's going to be good for the university. And is not going to try and use this job to jump off somewhere else. Yeah. You don't need to hire like Bobby Petrino and bring the human armpit into town and just ruin your, fr your program even further. Brett Bielema is a good, steady, experienced hand to guide this team. I think. Yeah, yeah. I might take a shot on Heartline if it were me because, I mean, you're already like the 65th recruiting class or something like that. What do you got to lose? Go get the National Recruiter of the Year. Why not? That's fair. That'd be just offer Mike Hart. See if he comes a little brother. <laughs> I don't know that they'd ever accept him there. I don't know that I would ever be able to stomach that. No, I would. No, that. It would just be so. It would just be some kind of strange irony that only makes sense in 2020. Yeah, well. These are strange times. <laughs> All right, man, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do a quick recap of our Oscar picks. Uh, we did call the big upsets for the most part, uh, but then we want to talk basketball. It is February 10th as we record this, and that means it's time for Jared and Andy to finally get into basketball season. So we will do our basketball primer when we come back right after this. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are talking basketball, finally, as it is 11 days now into February. We've decided that it is time to make the switch. We are primarily a football podcast, but that does not mean we are not pro-Michigan basketball, and things are really starting to get into the upswing, my friend. Yes, we're a month away from the conference tournament. Players are getting healthy. The team seems poised to be making a run. I mean... This isn't the team from last year, but, you know, the new upstart feel, all the pieces coming together, there's a little magic in the air. Absolutely. Sitting at 14-9 and nine right now, 10th in the Big Ten, which sounds really bad, but if you look at the Big Ten standings, it's an absolute cluster right now. Very difficult to find separation. Michigan's best team, or excuse me, the Big Ten's best team right now is either Maryland or Penn State. 
no one predicted that. Michigan and Michigan State have both fallen out of the rankings. Uh, we climbed really high after that tournament win uh, early in the season, beating then number one Gonzaga. So, I mean, it's been an up-and-down season. You lose Isaiah Livers for a big chunk there in the middle. So we're going to kind of talk about where we're at right now, what we've seen from this team, what we expect to see moving forward. We're also going to mix that in with a little bit of an Oscar recap. So uh, I'll start it off, our Oscar recap. Uh, we did pretty well, all things considered, my friend. Uh, we nailed almost every single one of them between the two of us. Uh, you nailed Laura Dern. Marriage Story, Best Supporting Actress. Well done. Wanted to touch on that. Thanks, man. Not not too bad for not having seen the movie. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see hardly any of these. So I picked uh, – I went with the the uh, Golden Globe and Kathy Bates in that one. Did not get it. That's fine. Laura Dern, Dr. Ellie Sattler in Jurassic Park. You can have that. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Dino DNA. <laughs> All right, man. So uh, my first question to you on Michigan basketball. Looking at this, what is the best win of the season? It seems kind of like a rhetorical question, but there's a couple candidates in there. There are a couple candidates, and I don't want to hear your opinion. But for me, it was against the now unranked team. It was against Michigan State this past week. It was the first time Michigan's beaten this rival since 2018. It marked the return of Isaiah Livers, and Michigan just got their mojo back. And after having been in a free fall for the last you know month or so without him, they needed this win more than anything. It may not be the best like on paper right now, but to me, this is the best win for this team. I'm not going to argue with that. We needed that one, as you said, to get back on track. Isaiah Livers coming back was huge. Um, that We needed that to happen, but... That's not the best win of the season for me. Uh, I'm going to go with that tournament run early in the season when we were all thinking Juwan Howard was basically sent from heaven above, which he very well may have been. Uh, but at that time, we were convinced of it, and I was willing to give him blood plasma on the spot if he needed it, a kidney, a liver, whatever he needs. Um, so I'm going to go with that early season win against Gonzaga because they are still sitting at – what? Are they? they're in the top 10 right now. They're at number two currently. So, I mean, yeah, Gonzaga's still good. That's still their only loss on the season. Their only loss on the season. So I'm going to go with that against number two, Gonzaga, because the score in that one was, I mean, we blow them out. It was 82-64. That was the most complete victory against a very good team. Um, Gonzaga always is a well-coached team, but they don't play the kind of athletes that are in the Big Ten, and our athleticism really won that one out. Very balanced attack. So I thought that was a really good one. The UNC win the week before, that's right up there. Uh, we got wins against Iowa State, which is a tournament team, although they just lost their star point guard. Um, so, I mean, a bunch of them. And then I would put probably Michigan State, that most recent win, right up there as well. That was a well-rounded win. The return of Isaiah Livers. Uh, Jeff Jackson, our newfound point guard, really working them. So I I'm okay with that. And to your point about UNC being a good win – Although I believe they're 10 and 13 now, that's when North Carolina was 100% healthy. So this was a very quality win against some of the best players in the country. So at that time, it was a good win. You can't get caught up in present-day bias about who they are now. Absolutely. All right, back to the Oscars. Best Supporting Actor category. Uh, you called it. I tried to take the upset here with Joe Pesci and the Irishman. You went with the Golden Globes. Brad Pitt got it. Um, I don't believe it was the best performance of the year by a supporting actor. It wasn't even the best performance in that movie, but I love that he got it. It was probably my favorite moment of the night or that or Parasite winning best picture. 
Yeah, and he gave a great speech talking about Leo riding his coattails. Got a little emotional talking about the career. Which is good speech. Brad Pitt, all-time cool team. All-time man team as well. Just put them on there. All-timer, all-timer. All right, so best win, uh, you know, with a little bit of disagreement there. What's the worst loss of the year so far? Uh, has to come in that in that livers period, I'm imagining, the loss of Liverpool. <sighs> period. Yeah, there's, I mean, like Louisville, Illinois, Oregon ranked. Michigan State, you could put that one on there because Michigan just came out flat. That was There was just nothing to that game. Penn State lost rough. Man, it for me still it is making you making me sit there and watch that Ohio State loss the other night where Xavier Simpson rips a player's jersey from the offensive positioning and gets a dead ball flagrant and the game that ends the game basically and ruins it. So no, for me that was it because how pissed off it left me. I apologize for that. Yeah, I definitely said tune into that one. I thought we were going to win it. Uh, can't make free throws down the stretch. Xavier Simpson ripping jersey. Excuse me, Jeff Jackson. I don't know who Xavier Simpson is. Uh, that one's up there. The only other one that I would really consider is the Illinois loss, 64-62, where you have like four free throws. You make freaking any of them down the stretch. You don't even have to take that game as deep as it did. So should have beat Illinois, ranked Illinois, should have beat Ohio State. So couple got away there, but both of them without Isaiah Livers, who is unquestionably our most well-rounded player. I can't believe you've been calling him Jeff Jackson. I didn't catch on yet. <laughs> it's Jeff Jackson, bro. <laughs> Jeff Jackson wrecks cars at night. Um, yeah, so what you said about Livers is absolutely correct, man. He's having just a crazy good season, shooting 50% from the field, almost 50 from three, 92% from the charity stripe. He has to be the midseason MVP, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, especially because you saw how much we fell without him. Um, you know, Teske's averaging basically 13-8, and eight, which is certainly no no slouch numbers. Simpson, 13-4-8, very solid, very well-rounded. Uh, we always have good point guards at Michigan. Uh, but it's Isaiah Livers. First of all, his positional versatility, he allows everyone else to play their role, um, and he can play wherever he's at on the floor. I mean, he can switch up a lot. They don't necessarily switch him a lot he kind of stays at the three, four, somewhere in there. But 50% from the field, 49% from three is absurd. That's absurd. That's, that's outrageous. I mean, that is stupidly – just being at 40% makes you good. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm pretty sure 39.6 or something like that is what Steph Curry shoots. So, yeah, if you can maintain 49% from three, you're going in the first three picks. Yeah, that is – and that is a great point, man. Just adds to his versatility and how he can open up the offense. And when Michigan was struggling without him on the court, he was a bucket. And that's what they were missing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, going back to the Oscars, best screenplay. You called Quentin Tarantino once upon a time in Hollywood. Got this one right. Parasite. Bong Joon-ho, the real winner of that evening. It was the best screenplay of the year. So I I'm glad I called that one. I have no argument, but Steph Curry's lowest career three-point percentage uh, this season out of it because he only played four games is 41%. Yeah, in four in a four-game setting, but I think his career um, because – No, 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 no. 41% is his lowest ever in a season, not this season. Oh, like, okay, okay. Complete okay. season, 41 is his career low, 45 career high. Oh, okay, okay, for sure. Because his brother, Seth, just passed him for career three-point percentage. Yeah, because Seth shoots like four times a game. Come on. <laughs> as far as volume shooters, and Liver is not a volume shooter from three. But uh, 
All right, so as we sit right now, we are projected as an eight seed via Joe Lenardi of ESPN. Uh, definitely a chance to move higher. Still got the Big Ten tournament, which kicks off in a month. My question to you, who is the most crucial player down the stretch? I, th I think we've touched on him, but for the sake of variety, I'm going to go with John Teske because as he has been you know, serviceable with 13 and 8, when he goes up against elite big men, he gets eaten, a la Luca Garza, who ate both times against him, posting 30s and 40s and double-doubles or at least close to it with eight or nine rebounds. So I think he is going to be key because if we run into just an average team with an elite big man like that that can keep taking advantage of them, Michigan could be in closer games against lesser competition. And in the tournament, if you run into a hot, just random A-10 team with a like talented big man, that could spell trouble. That's why you've got Austin Davis coming off the bench, baby. The big like tech, big tax attorney. That dude looks like he works at a bowling alley somewhere in like Madison, Wisconsin. But Austin Davis becoming a little more serviceable to back him up. Uh, yeah, Teske is going to be critical down the stretch. I mean, we're going to have to face Garza at least in the Big Ten tournament, you would imagine. Although there's a lot of – the Big Ten is deep this year. It's going to be tough to win it this year. Every game is going to be cha a challenge in that one. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll switch it up and say it's Xavier Simpson. This team a lot of times goes as the point guard goes. And when Xavier Simpson is having an off game, it's very tough for us to win. Uh, then we have to have Franz and Isaiah Livers be more of the primary ball handers and, and, and creators. And, and that doesn't really set up well. Simpson doesn't need to be a star, but he's got to be at least playing a good game for us. Um, and that uh, come tournament time, that'll be crucial. The one thing I love about Simpson's game is how he can impact it in different ways. If he's not scoring, that's one thing. But his defense, he sets the tone emotionally. He can create for others, even when his shot's not going in. So... I love that going forward for him is that even when he's having an off night, now that Livers is back and he doesn't have the burden of scoring on him as much, I think he can really shine. Absolutely. All right, switching gears again. Best actress and best actor category. Uh, you, you called Renee Zellweger. Well done. I didn't realize you got that one. Um, super boring role. I called Scarlett Johansson, so I was wrong there. Uh, best actor, you called Joaquin. I called Leo. So you definitely smoked me in this exercise. <laughs> Thanks, man. Some of them I'd seen, most of them I hadn't. But you just go with the betting odds. More often than not, you'll be right. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what you did. I was go. I watched more this year, and I wasn't betting any money on it, so I went with my heart. Um, we talked about this, though, a little bit uh, beforehand, that as time goes on, the Leo role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will be more memorable and I think will be looked upon fonder than the Joaquin Phoenix role in Joker. Because who the hell's going back to rewatch that? It's super depressing. You go back and watch it just for Joaquin because he's the one thing that'll stand out and hold the test of time because of just how transcendent he was. And But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, everything around that movie is charming instantaneously rewatchable. Leo is fantastic doing a myriad of different things in that film. And that's a role you're going to see 10 times. Like you don't always remember who won the Oscar in a given year, but you remember Harrison Ford, and the fugitive. Damn straight. You do. All right. Switching gears again. God, we're good at this or as we <laughs> try to be. <laughs> All right, so, uh, let, let's kind of look at the overall outlook for this team. Um, you said that the we both kind of said that the midseason MVP was Isaiah Livers. Uh, I might also put in a vote for Jawan Howard. 
to be able to come in, you know, losing Jordan Poole, losing Ignas Brasdakis, losing, you know, your coach that's been there for, geez, a decade, and coming in and winning that tournament. Uh, what was it? The Bahama. I forget the name of that early season tournament. I have it written down. Um, winning that tournament, beating Gonzaga, beating UNC. Now you beat Michigan State. Now Joshua Christopher is on the line. You've got the best recruiting class in the history of Michigan basketball outside of that one really good one that we all remember. I would argue that Jawan Howard has a case for midseason MVP. I would say so. I, they definitely handled the storm without livers, but the talent gap on the team is noticeable. But on the recruiting trail, if you factor that in, yeah, he's bringing in the best class Michigan's ever had. I believe right now they're third in the country, <laughs> which yeah. is absurd. Yeah, it is absurd. They didn't have the recruiting rankings back when the Fab Five came out. Um, but I would argue that this is a bigger overall haul, especially if you get Joshua Christopher. So Jawan Howard is doing an incredible job. He's my favorite current Michigan Wolverine, either program. I mean, he's just absolutely killing it right now. He's on fire. Um, another guy that I want to talk on, though, Franz Wagner, who had to play a much bigger role with Isaiah Livers out. Um a lot of people have been talking about how, you know, maybe not as much of a ceiling as Mo Wagner. I, in watching him the last couple games, especially, think that he might have a higher ceiling than Mo Wagner. Not as long, obviously not as tall, but he plays much better defense. In fact, he's leading the team with 1.2 steals per right now. Um, his points per game starting to be on the rise. Granted, a lot of that is due to usage, but this is maybe the X factor. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree that he is an X-factor. I don't know if he can be as good as his brother. His brother just had a dog in him sometimes with on the boards, which I love. And Franz brings it defensively. We're starting to see him come out of his shell a little bit. And I'm not going to cap him right now, what he can and can't be. But all the effort defensively, I think, is adding to his game offensively, making him more comfortable, getting him into the flow of everything. And once again, we touched on it with Livers, the positional versatility. Although he's not as big as his brother, he's still long and athletic and able to switch around. He can shoot. He can get to the rim. He can't do it like Mo did in his final year because Mo got that. He figured out how to do that behind the back move. And at 6'10", you're just not stopping that. No. Uh, Franz doesn't quite have the ball handling yet, doesn't quite have the shot dialed in yet, but you see it. You see the talent and you see him getting better and better. You see him starting to figure it out. He is better coming off the bench in relief of livers than in a starting role too. So I think the return of livers might help him as much as it helps anyone. Yeah, I think so as well, man. This is more versatility, more pieces to add. And like we said, the last time we really dug into basketball was all of this is great. Getting to the tournament will be great, but bringing back the livers and the Wagners for next season. Oh baby. Watch out. Oh yeah. It's going to be an all-timer, but for one one thing at a time. Uh, switching gears one last time. Best director and best picture. Uh, I called it. Boong Joon-hoo, Parasite. Uh, it was my favorite movie of the year. I hadn't seen 1917 yet. You called 1917. That was the odds-on favorite. Uh, Parasite ran away with it, man. And once you see that, you'll, you'll agree with that. Um, the best commentary I heard is that a war movie comes along once every two years. Parasite comes along once every 20. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I love that argument, man. You're not going to get any dispute from me. 
And then Best Picture, uh, once again, I called it. I wanted to be on the right side of history. I called Parasite. You called 1917. Um, I kind of thought it was going to be 1917, but I wanted to be right on this one because I've just been I've been very adamant about my love of Parasite as the best movie of the year, and it won. So uh, the Academy maybe making up for Green Book last year got it right in 2019. It's good to see that and good to see the acting. And for the most part, all the awards were – well-deserved some of them like Renee Zellweger like okay that's that's okay that's nice but there was no like egregious standout it wasn't like when Bohemian Rhapsody won best drama last year whatever it won yeah yeah but Bohemian Rhapsody winning all the awards that it won when it's just a mediocre movie uh and then like 2017 was just a mess I mean all together so uh, I mean you don't love Lion yes no one has seen the movie Lion they don't even remember that it exists there's like always movies like that and like hidden figures that come out it's like who's gonna sit around and watch this oh man i can't wait to watch that tonight i did watch hidden figures but is it that great of a movie every movie this year blows away all of the movies from 2017 green book is pure trash it wouldn't even be nominated this year so overall it was a very good year i was i was happy with everything and our boy brad pitt getting rewarded totally fine with it wish leo would have got one over joaquin but you can't hate on that for that performance so no, I understand, and I really wanted Leo to win it after hearing 90% of Joaquin Phoenix's speech. Once you dig into artificial insemination, I just kind of tune you out. What the hell are you talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where, 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 what are we doing? The Academy Awards. Get back on schedule. <laughs> Thank your director. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. There's a bar out back. <laughs> he's just somewhere. He's just somewhere in the middle of the week. Lighten up. It's a Friday night. Like Joaquin, it's Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> it's it's Wednesday, Lemon. <laughs> exactly, man. But all in all, good night and things are looking good for Michigan basketball. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the, the overall point here. One month away from the conference tournament, we've got Northwestern. Tomorrow it'll be, well, that game will already have happened by the time that this posts. So Northwestern, who's, you know, sneaky good, like everyone in the Big Ten this year. Very, very well-rounded in the Big Ten, so you can't get caught sleeping the rest of the way. Isaiah Livers, there's no need to try and dunk from the free throw line. Stay healthy. And if so, I mean, we could climb as high as a five seed potentially. I mean, the Big Ten tournament will be huge. I mean, if you have a good, good showing there, who knows? Yeah, as long as Michigan continues to tread water until the tournament, I think that you'd see him as low as a nine and as high as a four or a five. Yeah, I would think four or five would, would be the ceiling. Uh, more likely six, seven, eight seed would be my prediction, uh, which is fine. You can make some moves from there. And this is Jawan Howard's first season. He doesn't have to win the whole damn thing this year. Uh, just hold on to that recruiting class. Continue to show improvement. Continue to kind of establish your identity. And this is a great first year. I mean, it's already on track to be a tremendous first year for Howard. So stay the course. Tides are turning, man. Culture's changed. Culture has changed. Now we just need to switch it up on football. Oh, gee. Oh, come on. Don't depress me now. <laughs> it's a Tuesday. What do you expect from me? There's no reason. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Out of the Blue tonight. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Follow Maze and Brew on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. 
We're both on Twitter, although less active because we have lives at Andy <laughs> underscore Bailey one at JStorm three hundred three. I'm just kidding; we don't really have lives. Make sure you like, <laughs> share, subscribe, and leave a review for all your shows and content wherever you get your podcasts by searching Maze and Brew Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go. <laughs>